How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm fucking wonderful after that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that was brutal. Yeah, this will be a fun one. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, how, how do you... Uh, I, I kind of want to keep this in and open with this. <laughs> um, okay, shall we? We shall. All right. Hey there, Knicks fans. said this after the Orlando game, you thought this was going to be a fun season of all close losses and encouraging signs. Well, you were sadly mistaken, apparently. Um, oh, God. All right, joining me tonight for the po- I, I Even my intros are, like, losing energy. How can I blame the Knicks? It's like I, I used to have these big intros for, for my guests, and now it's like, uh, Jeremy Cohen. Uh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> no, let me give some enthusiasm. Pleased to be joining us tonight. More pleased were than than Tim Hardaway was to be guarding Paul George, apparently. Um, I am pleased to be joined by Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy Cohen, how are you? Terrible. How are you, Jonathan? I'm equally terrible. Oh, good. All right. Ah, uh, okay. Mystery loves company. Yeah, no. Um, now that we got that out of the way, uh, let's start with this um, because I don't. I don't really have an answer for this question, and I, I think it's something that you could ask any fan and, and kind of get a get a different opinion of. Um, when you see a team essentially, I don't want to. I hate using the word "not compete" because I, I don't know. I I don't. Well, let me ask you this: Did you would you use that term to describe what the Knicks did tonight against Oklahoma City? I guess you know. This is just – it's a young team. They were outmanned, outperformed in every way from the get-go. And it was the same thing with the Orlando game. It just felt like a continuation of the last one where all of a sudden the other team just explodes for first quarter points. And we've talked about this that what seems like a thousand times yeah. where the Knicks let these teams get into huge leads and they always have to claw their way back. Yes. And most of the time they don't do that. And tonight was no difference. It, you know, I, I would say this is unacceptable, but the bar is, is so low and it's getting even lower because I feel like as this goes, we, we sort of shift our narrative from, you know, this is a young, exciting season to, well, this is bound to happen. These guys are, are young. They need to get exactly what you were saying in terms of the enthusiasm seems, seems to be waning. And, it's a problem. The, the defense is a huge problem. and But at this point, you just kind of throw your hands up and say, this is what we signed up for. No, I, I, I think you you summarized it well. And I guess the reason I – I hate to use the word non-compete because that implies to me at least that guys went out there and didn't give a shit about winning. And I, 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 I don't get that sense from this Knicks team. I have I have not gotten that sense – from this Knicks team at any point this year, and I didn't get that sense from them tonight, I got the sense that um, they went into 
another team's arena, a team that happens to be the second best defense in the league, um, trying out for the first time all year a new starting lineup that happens to feature, I don't even know if I would say arguably the worst defensive backcourt um, in the league, because that would imply that someone else could come up with an argument that there is a worst defensive backcourt somewhere <laughs> else in out of you know the 30 teams that that play and i I don't i don't think that would be a valid argument um you know and they and they couldn't keep up and then the second unit comes in and it's you know i think fizz was trying to have his cake and eat it too here a little bit with the lineup switch so just you know if anybody's listening didn't watch the game Hardaway, or excuse me, Moutier and Kevin Knox came in for Damian Dotson and Frank Nilakina. So essentially, he tried to boost the second unit's defense um, and sacrifice the firsts. Um, and it didn't work. And it, they were playing catch up the whole game. And then, you know, I think at a certain point, it kind of sunk in that, look, we're not going to win tonight. And that's when you started to see guys, um, you know, I don't want to say give up, but kind of, what 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 term am I searching for here, Jeremy? There's a defeatist attitude, that's definitely, especially you. for the for the young kids who, a little redundant, but uh, who, who really are not as accustomed to this type of season. They knew that it was going to be a challenge, that... With Porzingis out, the season was not going to go as planned. But this is the problem with uh, with the 26 year old being your oldest active player, with Lance Thomas hurting and and by the uh, way, Courtney Lee I, I don't want to cut you off, but someone mentioned this to me on Twitter tonight. Do you think it's a completely an accident that things have gone off the rails since Lance Thomas is no longer in the rotation? And I know, <laughs> I know people are going to kill me for that. <laughs> I know it. I know it's coming. But if one thing that we know about Lance Thomas is, it's that he's a professional who always gives it 110%. It's not always pretty. It's not. It's usually not pretty. But we know what you're going to get from him. And I don't know. I To me, that I thought that person made a good point. Anyway, back to what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, he also, his averages fluctuated, but he, I mean, he played 19 minutes against the Warriors, played nine minutes against the Nets, then 16 and 17 against the Pacers and Mavs, then eight and five against the Wizards and Bulls. And granted, he was probably starting to hurt, and that's why his minutes decreased. I, I, I don't think the reason is Lance Thomas, per se. I think it's just um, the fact that this team has played a lot of really bad teams. And if they're losing those bad games, then they're going to underperform for when the good games come, which is coming up very soon. I mean, this this was one example of a good game, but I, I looked earlier, and I think that of the what was this the this is the fifteenth game of the fifteen games that they've played. I think that um, at least nine or ten of them were against teams that were five hundred or less, more to, to, uh, towards the under five hundred mark. Yeah, no, and I think it, it when you you know the NBA is a funny league and. There's definitely a discrepancy between the haves and the haves-nots, um, and there are, you know, there's the top of the cream of the crop, then there's that kind of next echelon of teams, which I would put OKC in, um, you know, and then there's kind of like that juicy middle, and the Knicks could usually, you know, the Knicks this year might be able to get a game off of a team like, you know, the Nets, for instance, you know, when they had Levert, they're a team in kind of that middle ground, and then there's the bad teams. So I think it's a great point. 
Um, I mean, in terms of like talking about the players, uh, did anyone impress you tonight at all? No. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I still want to say yes, and it just it it felt like I want to say yes too, but who the hell would you'd be lying? You know, I mean, Ennis Cantor couldn't get a double double, and. I know that we rip on Canner a lot, and that that shouldn't seem like a crazy stat. But I mean, you you'd think that he'd at least be able to contribute in that sense. But he's he was so bad in pick and roll defense. And I believe I read a tweet that said Stephen Adams went up to Fisdale and said something how like you need to take him out as a joke. Yeah, I mean they're they're best friends, but it also goes to show that everyone realizes how bad Cantor is defensively. Um, you know, and and Moody at first, I thought he was doing some nice things, but then it just it went downhill. Hisonia looked okay to start. I don't know, but I, I actually I have a question for you, Jonathan. I'm curious what your thoughts sure. are on this. Do you think that one of the biggest um, potential demises for this team is that once the train starts really going off the tracks? that all of the guys on one-year deals are going to start playing more selfishly and that that's going to impact the team negatively. I think that's the biggest risk for this particular team this year. Um, I, it's the one that I thought of in in preseason. Um, and especially when you compound the fact that the <laughs> – some of the guys on one-year deals and the, the guys that come to mind are Hazonia and and Moutier, um also happen to be guys whose worst trait, arguably, through their time in the league thus far has been poor basketball decision-making. When you put those two things together, that worries me. Um, and, you know, like even tonight we saw... You know, I think it was more Hazonia than than Moody. I thought Moutier was okay on offense. I mean, I know he had um, those two turnovers in the first half. One, he was trying to kick it out to the corner. That was it. The right decision? No. Did I get terribly annoyed by it? No. Um, I thought he was okay on offense. Hazonia. You know, I think you already started to see. You know, he he put up nine field goals and twenty field goal attempts. Excuse me, in twenty two minutes. Um. That, you know, and it's it, it felt like more, like that's the type of stuff. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want this team to devolve into a place where Mario Hazonia is jacking up a shot every other time down the court because that doesn't help development. That doesn't help the goals for the season. That doesn't help Mario Hazonia show that he's becoming a, a better player under Fisdale. That doesn't help anybody. Um, yeah, it's a worry. And that's, you know, you want to talk about the different areas that Fisdale's going to make his money. Um, that's one of them. Uh, another thing that I'm starting to notice, and I don't know if this is a concern of yours, is I think Trier's head might already be getting a little a little big with how he's operating out on the court. Um, did not look to pass once tonight, at least not that I saw. Uh, what do you think of that one? Uh, yeah, Trier's tunnel vision is something that I've actually noticed over the past couple games. Tonight... Specifically, there were a few instances where it's just like, dude, there there are teammates that are wide open. You don't need to play hero ball. And the isolation is great until it isn't. We love Isozo, but and Fizdale said in the past how he just lets him cook because he can do that. But 
really what happens when plays break down or there really aren't plays designed other than, okay, let's just give Trier the ball and we can go from there. And it's this, – this is my concern. I think that Trier will always outperform the fact that he was undrafted and I think that he can have a consistent career. Yes. But – and I know that this sounds almost blasphemous, but part of me wonders – what if Trier is actually closer to his ceiling than his floor? No, I, and I think it's, you know, it, it's um, it can be dangerous when you get a guy out of nowhere, an unexpected asset, if you will. It can be tempting to overlook the flaws because you feel like it's found money, and Trier definitely has that feeling right now of found money. Um, that it's tempting to overlook the fact that if he goes too far towards the direction that, you know, albeit, you know, Fisdale seems to be empowering him to go towards this isolation, you know, one-on-one, don't worry about looking for anybody else, um, that could hurt what's going on on the court. And I I saw it more blatantly tonight than I have at any other moment um, in the season. I think, you you know, you said it best. It's... (laughs) His isolations are great until they aren't. Um, I want to mention Frank. Uh, he played 21 minutes off the bench. Uh, he, there were a lot of times where, as you know, fans uh, are are used to from different stints with this team, he uh, went down on the offensive end and kind of stood in the the corner. Um, you know, he did his fair amount of ball handling, but there was some of that too. I would say it's probably about 50-50. Uh, had a nice move into the paint towards the end, but the thing that stood out to me was in the first half, he didn't look great on defense. Um, he did. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm being too harsh when I say that. He let Schroeder blow by him a few times. Um, it was a bit unnerving. Uh, now, granted, Schroeder is one of the three or four fastest players in the league, but still, um, even, you know, I mean, he had that ticky-tack foul on on um, on Felton. But then in the second half, I thought when he came into the game, he had a different level of aggressiveness to him. I thought even on the offensive end, even though he didn't do that much, he seemed more engaged. Um, and then on defense, he had that stretch where he was like a one-man band and he was doing everything. You know, and I, just, I thought it was a reminder that, look, I know that there's going to be tough times with this kid and I get the fact that fans are going to be frustrated seeing him clang <laughs> three-pointers off the rim and not be as assertive as he should be on the offensive end. But when you see that ability on defense, that's why you invest the time and the effort and the energy in making sure he becomes whatever the hell he might be, um, which I, I imagine you are still on board with. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people say, send Frank to the G League. He'd get good reps there, and that's that's not really my concern for him because uh, it, this is not to put down the G League at all. I think it can be a great developmental league for a lot of players. Sure. We saw what happened with Tim Hardaway. It, it, you can you can find success, Jonathan Simmons. So that's not the problem for me. It's just it's just challenging him. What does him going to the G League and driving and scoring points on on in copious amounts and dishing and doing everything that we hope he can do but just in a league down that all it does is say to the fans who are not as high on him like look this is what you have to look forward to but 
that doesn't that's just proving a point that doesn't need to be proven right now. We we just need to let him do his thing because we know that players tend not to develop at least until they're around 21, 22 and they're players who like Buddy Heald who yes. I believe is 25 years old who's having an incredible season. It's and a great example. It took him took him 3 years at Oklahoma and then took him this is his third season in the NBA. So this can happen. If you're looking for an instant all-star, you're certainly not going to get that. And Knox, with all of the scoring prowess he has, he certainly has his issues as well. So I think just because we, we focus on scoring because basketball is about buckets, we tend to overlook the inabilities of others if you were scoring the ball, like Trier. Uh, I remember in Summer League where people were trashing him constantly. And then he has a couple good games, and all of a sudden he's – back in everyone's good graces and i know there's no real correlation between summer league and preseason and regular season for that matter but it we're just very hot and cold on these players and we just need to allow them time to develop and it's going to be nights like these where they're going to learn from these losses and say okay how what did we do wrong versus the wins where we say what did we do right yeah and and an important distinction that i want to draw with frank you know it's not as if we haven't seen him do pretty much everything that he needs to be able to do, including shoot effectively, which he actually started this year off shooting very well. Um, If it was a situation like, for instance, with Moutier, every time he drives um, the lane, it's like he he can't, he's just terrible around the rim. That's not it with Frank. It's more about getting him to a place mentally um, where he is able to balance that approach um, you know, of being more aggressive, but not forcing it. And I think he was starting to force the issue because he's, again, he's trying to find that kind of gray area where it all makes sense. And that's, you know, that's not an easy thing to find. Um, two things before we go. One, just to follow up on how we started the whole show. Look, it's been two blowouts in a row. I'm not concerned yet. I think at some point, very, very soon, you need to have a a damn competitive effort against a good team. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree in the sense that it could all go downhill very quickly, which is disappointing, of course, because the season started less than a month ago. But when you look at their schedule, I I, I just don't see how it's exactly encouraging because they've they've got the Pelicans on Friday. And they're playing in Orlando, and we know that that is not an easy game. And, and Orlando uh, actually tonight beat Philadelphia. They, I yeah. believe Orlando is in the eighth seed as of right now. Yep. And then you've got the Trailblazers in at MSG. That's not going to be a, a good game. You're going to the you're going to Boston against the Celtics. Then you're playing the Pelicans at home. You're going to the Grizzlies. You're going to the Pistons. You're playing in Philadelphia. It's brutal. It's brutal. Bucks. I mean, it it just gets it gets worse and worse. So yeah, there's. You say a good game. I I look at those games and I wonder how these teams match up, and I'm not confident that they can really win any of them. Well, which is incredibly disheartening for the players themselves. I look. Um, I mean, you want to avoid those very long losing streaks. Am I worried about them getting a win? No. Uh, for what it's worth, David Fisdale in his press conference, I uh, had it on closed captioning as we're recording right now, uh, he said he thought they competed tonight, so that's a good sign. He did say uh, the new starting lineup um, 
had its issues, just like the previous starting lineup, uh, and that he would probably continue to make tweaks, or he would continue to make tweaks going forward. So that's, you know, something to look forward to. I, I'm not going to kill him for trying something different. Yeah. I would like to see Knox at the four, though. I think we all one issue. I think we all Yeah. I, I mean, one issue tonight, just Stephen Adams is a great, big defensive man. Um, but the problem is that he he was so overpowering for Mitchell Robinson, especially with Mitchell Robinson on a bum ankle. And it's great that he was able to come back. At first, I was excited. Then I was a little uneasy. But, you know, they, they know how to manage pain better than for, for themselves. And I know how to manage pain for Mitchell Robinson. But then you know, Skinner would come in and he'd just get abused. And there's not really that defensive guy who is a big body who can hold his own. It's sort of on late, but then he's also playing the four, and he's he's regressed a bit. Uh, the irony is that I feel like Joakim Noah would have done passably in this situation. Not well, but he would have held his own as a body uh, Joe. and made things harder. I wonder where Joe but is the, right now. I wonder what he's doing. He's, he's living off of the money he's making for doing nothing, but I'm sure he wants to get back into basketball. I'm sure he's living his, his best life. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, we're all – eventually and already anticipating the start and I'm not even talking about KP we're all anticipating an eventual starting five of Frank Hardaway Dotson Knox uh and Mitch I mean that's it's the five that is the five guys who are going to be here next year uh it's Mm -hmm. the five guys that kind of sort of you think make the most sense together uh where we're not there yet uh maybe we get there soon we'll see uh, last thing I do want to mention is Knox. Uh, he led the team in field goal attempts tonight. He was 5 for 16, obviously not great. Played 29 minutes, 2 for 7 from 3. Got to the line three times, hit all, all three of his, his foul shots. Uh, five rebounds, 15 points. Did you like what you saw from Knox in his first career start? I don't like the inefficiency, but that's... That comes with the territory. I mean, we knew he was going to be an inefficient player yeah. for a while, so I would, I would like smarter shots, but they weren't. A lot of them weren't bad, per se. Yeah, no, I agree uh, with that. So you just again, you just live with these guys, you live and die with them, and you're mostly going to die with them. But because yeah, when you look at the box score, fifteen and five for a rookie, that's that's pretty nice. But again, the, the inefficiency that he's going to work towards and it's going to improve over time one would certainly hope um that's it just that's it is what it is you just shrug yeah. your shoulders and hope for the next game no, no, I, that it gets better I, you i couldn't agree more um all right we already talked about the games that are coming up so rather than than uh preview the pelicans game because i i have a funny feeling that might not be the time we get off the schneid i want to ask you this <laughs> question and we'll end here uh Still a forward-looking question because we like to end our podcasts looking forward. Does it make sense at some point in the maybe not near future, but within I don't know a month, two months, something like that, to buy out in his canter? If you can't find a trade, assuming, and, uh, and I, I'm actually right. got a piece dropping on on whether or not we could trade in his canter. It should be coming out tomorrow. Uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you a sneak preview, guys. It ain't gonna be easy, um, <laughs> but assuming that we can't find a trade for him, yeah. 
Yeah, damn, you got ahead of me. I was going to do something for Gotham about that. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But yeah, I, I there's so many teams out there that do not need offensive rebounding. And if they do, they there aren't expiring contracts that can come back. So right now, Ennis Cantor's is worth more to the Knicks from a contractual standpoint, from, I'm going to say at a tanking standpoint, than he might be in terms of netting an asset. And that's depressing. It's very depressing, depressing but, but I, could see, I could see them buying him out based on the fact where if he's coming off the bench still, and I think that he should continue to do that, Agreed. if he's still coming off the bench and this team is all of a sudden 15 games, well, actually, they're, they are uh, seven games under 500. Yeah, so let's get later early here. Yeah, exactly. Then you might as well just say, you know, Ennis, just, just go ahead. And then players will realize, hey, the Knicks did a solid they're letting Ennis Cantor go. They they didn't even try for big trades. I think that's the right move. And and then that's that's actually how you can free up a spot for Trier yeah. by cutting Ennis Cantor. Yeah. Um. I honestly I didn't even think of that. because uh, I keep thinking it would be something that would happen closer to the All Star bake. But I, I. It just makes sense on several levels. It gets. Vonley to the position where he's playing backup five, which is what he should be playing. He's playing out of position right now at the four. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, I always, and I'll, I'll, this is the last thing I'll say on this. I question every time I see defensive ineffectiveness from either average or good defenders when Cantor is on the floor because I can't even fathom trying to play defense knowing full well that there is a human sieve right behind <laughs> you like how how are you supposed to do your job knowing full well that the the guy who is essentially the last last man standing is not going to do his um and i i just think him even being on the floor at any point in time whether it's starting or coming off the bench is is counterproductive um, for the team going forward, and I just it's again I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. Just it just it doesn't um, doesn't make sense for this team. Yeah, and just to add on, I think that the uh, the big thing is that he does so little other than offensive rebounding because last year, if I recall correctly, the four worst defensive players who constituted as centers in some order was. Uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Kevin Love, and Ennis Kanter. <laughs> and we know we know that Jokic is an incredible passer yeah. and high IQ player. He's got tremendous skills. Vucevic has been insanely um, good. This lights season. out, lights out. We know we know what a healthy Kevin Love can do. Not great defensively, considering how I just mentioned that he was one of the worst defensively. But but we know that he can at least stretch the floor. And then you look at Ennis Kanter, and he clogs the paint, and he. He tips in these boards and all of a sudden it inflates inflates his stock. And it's it's also the tunnel vision. And again, I, I, I'm not going to go down the path of ripping him. We've done this before. But the point still still is that I wish he could do more to expand his game. And he just can't. And I think that's exactly why a buyout should be looming if a trade doesn't materialize. And I find a trade to materialize being very hard. Yep. Uh, we have somehow talked about this debacle of a game for uh i have my timer at 28 minutes let's 
Oof. Let's, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that that noise. If I could, if I could take that noise that you just made and t- use that as the title of this episode, I totally would. Um, <laughs> oh, here's a bright th- uh, something good. Uh, Mitchell Robinson got another three blocks tonight, so I think after tonight he should be. Um, I want to say he's going to be sixth in the NBA in block shots per game. That's that, not bad. That's something. There you go. Um, plug something, shout something out, do, do whatever you got to do. For sure. Uh, going to be hopping on the pod right after this for Gotham Sports Network. Actually going to be joined by Brandon Fitzpatrick, not Andrew Claudio. And so we'll, uh, we're going to discuss not just this game, but Brandon's actually a Warriors fan, Ugh. which, uh, I know, but he, That's in it. his words, yeah, he was, I'll listen to that. He was a Warriors fan before... He was um, before you know Katie came before they were title winning team. So I, I'm very very curious to hear what his thoughts are. And I'd hate to go down that whole hot takey route, but we didn't even mention Kevin Durant, and it's totally fine that we didn't. But so much has happened, and there are so many other questions that we can ask about it. Just generally speaking, and Knicks related, that I'd like to get a Warriors fan's opinion. And there are too many bandwagon ones to choose from. So getting an authentic one that I'm looking forward to. So I recommend. I it. will. I will uh, absolutely give that a listen. I think. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I I didn't even think to bring up the KD thing because. Yeah, uh, to quote our fearless leader David Fisdale, uh, you got to get your own house right first before you you worry about what's going on uh, down the block. Uh, and right. and the house, <laughs> the house is messy right now. <laughs> the house, well, at least it's not on fire. No, no, no. The house is not on fire. Uh, we've seen that. We know what it, <laughs> us here in New York. We know what it looks like when the house is on fire. Uh, it is not on fire right now, so that's good. Uh, all right, Jeremy. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, uh, especially since you got to go hop on another pod right now. I really do appreciate it, uh, especially after this game. Uh, and yes, everybody else out there, thank you for giving a listen. Um, I hear on other podcasts, people say to, uh, what is it? Subscribe, rate and review. So sure. Why not? Subscribe, rate, review. Um, check us out, uh, on Nick's film school and we love you dearly for listening and we will talk to you soon. Video.